Good evening, dreamers, and welcome back to another episode of the Drift Off Podcast. I'm your host, Joanne, here to guide you into a peaceful slumber with stories and music and sounds designed to relax your mind and soothe your soul. Before we begin tonight's journey to the prairies with Laura Ingalls Wilder, I want to take a moment to express my heartfelt gratitude. A warm welcome to all my subscribers who recently joined our dreamy community. I am thrilled to have you aboard, and your support means the world to me. And to my loyal listeners, your amazing reviews have been the wind beneath my wings. For instance, here are a couple of recent reviews that made my heart smile. The first one, I have been listening off and on for the last several months whenever I have a problem falling asleep. Within minutes, Joanne's voice has me settled and comfortable for whatever amount of sleep I'm about to get. The relaxation exercise before the story is super helpful. I've tried other sleep podcasts, but keep coming back to this one. In the second, Joanne has a lovely and quiet voice. She chooses tasteful and interesting stories. Her sincerity to help listeners sleep is palpable. I appreciate that she does not have commercials, which can be loud and wake me up. Reading messages like these truly fills my heart with joy and fuels my passion to keep creating content that helps you find restful sleep. Keeping the Drift Off podcast ad-free is something I feel deeply passionate about. I believe in preserving the sanctity of our bedtime routine, ensuring that nothing distracts us from the peace and relaxation we deserve. However, creating these episodes, filled with love, care, and tranquility, takes time, money, and effort. By subscribing, you help me sustain this ad-free oasis allowing me to continue providing you with content that eases you into sleep night after night. So, if you find solace in my podcast, and if you believe in what I'm doing, I hope you'll consider joining our community of subscribers. Together, we can keep the dream of a peaceful bedtime for Drift Off listeners. Now, let's take a moment to relax before we dive into tonight's bedtime story. I invite you to find a comfortable position. And when you're all settled in, begin by taking a full comfortable breath. And then holding it at the top for a moment and release it slowly, letting go of the day's worries as you slowly release the breath. At your own pace, continue to take a few more full, comfortable breaths. And as you do, feel the tension melting away from your body with each breath you take. 
helping you give way to relaxation. And as your body relaxes, this helps your mind become still, like the surface of a calm lake, ready to receive the soothing tale of Little House on the Prairie in the vast open lands under the sprawling sky our story begins with the ingles family embarking on a journey full of hope adventure and the promise of a new home and so my friend let's drift off to the prairies where the grass dances with the wind and the stars light up the night sky Chapter 15, Fever and Ague Now blackberries were ripe, and in the hot afternoons, Laura went with Ma to pick them. The big, black, juicy berries hung thick in briar patches in the creek bottoms. Some were in the shade of trees, and some were in the sun, but the sun was so hot that Laura and Ma stayed in the shade. There were plenty of berries. Deer lay in the shady groves and watched Ma and Laura. Blue jays flew at their sunbonnets and scolded because they were taking the berries. Snakes hurriedly crawled away from them, and in the trees, the squirrels woke up and chattered at them. Wherever they went among the scratchy briars, Mosquitoes rose up in buzzing swarms. Mosquitoes were thick on the big, ripe berries, sucking the sweet juice, but they liked to bite Laura and Ma as much as they liked to eat blackberries. Laura's fingers and her mouth were purple-black with berry juice. Her face and her hands and her bare feet were covered with briar scratches and mosquito bites and they were spattered with purple stains, too, where she had slapped at the mosquitoes. But every day, they brought home pails full of berries, and Ma spread them in the sun to dry. Every day, they ate all the blackberries they wanted, and next winter, they would have dried berries to stew. Mary hardly ever went to pick blackberries, she stayed in the house to mind baby Carrie because she was older. In the daytime, there were only one or two mosquitoes in the house. But at night, if the wind wasn't blowing hard, mosquitoes came in thick swarms. On still nights, Pa kept piles of damp grass burning all around the house and the stable. The damp grass made a smudge of smoke, to keep the mosquitoes away, but a good many mosquitoes came anyway. Pa could not play his fiddle in the evenings because so many mosquitoes bit him. Mr. Edwards did not come visiting after supper anymore because the mosquitoes were so thick in the bottoms. All night, Pat and Patty and the colt and the calf and the cow were stamping and swishing their tails in the stable 
and in the morning, Laura's forehead was speckled with mosquito bites. This won't last long, Pa said. Fall's not far away, and the first cold wind will settle them. Laura did not feel very well. One day she felt cold, even in the hot sunshine, and she could not get warm by the fire. Ma asked why she and Mary did not go out to play, and Laura said she didn't feel like playing. She was tired, and she ached. Ma stopped her work and asked, Where do you ache? Laura didn't exactly know. She said, I just ache. My legs ache. I ache too, Mary said. Ma looked at them and said they looked healthy enough. But she said something must be wrong or they wouldn't be so quiet. She pulled up Laura's skirt and petticoats to see where her legs ached. And suddenly, Laura shivered all over. She shivered so that her teeth rattled in her mouth. Ma put her hand against Laura's cheek. You can't be cold, she said. Your face is hot as fire. Laura felt like crying, but of course she didn't. Only little babies cried. I'm hot now, she said, and my back aches. Ma called Pa, and he came in. Charles, do look at the girls, she said. I do believe they are sick. Well, I don't feel any too well myself, said Pa. First I'm hot, and then I'm cold, and I ache all over. Is that the way you feel, girls? Do your very bones ache? Mary and Laura said that was the way they felt. Then Ma and Pa looked a long time at each other, and Ma said, The place for you girls is bed. It was so strange to be put to bed in the daytime, and Laura was so hot that everything seemed wavering. She held on to Ma's neck while Ma was undressing her, and she begged Ma to tell her what was wrong with her. You'll be all right. Don't worry, Ma said cheerfully. Laura crawled into bed, and Ma tucked her in. It felt good to be in bed. Ma smoothed her forehead with her cool, soft hand and said, There now, go to sleep. Laura did not exactly go to sleep, but she didn't really wake up again for a long, long time. Strange things seemed to keep happening in a haze. She would see Pa crouching by the fire in the middle of the night. Then suddenly, sunshine hurt her eyes, and Ma fed her broth from a spoon. Something dwindled slowly, smaller and smaller, till it was tinier than the tiniest thing. Then slowly, it swelled, till it was larger than anything could be. Two voices jabbered faster and faster, then a slow voice drawled more slowly than Laura could bear. There were no words, only voices. Mary was hot in the bed beside her. Mary threw off the covers, and Laura cried because she was so cold. Then she was burning up, and Pa's hand shook the cup of water. Water spilled down her neck. The tin cup rattled against her teeth till she could hardly drink. Then Ma tucked in the covers, 
and Ma's hand burned against Laura's cheek. She heard Pa say, Go to bed, Caroline. Ma said, You're sicker than I am, Charles. Laura opened her eyes and saw bright sunshine. Mary was sobbing. I want a drink of water. I want a drink of water. Jack went back and forth between the big bed and the little bed. Laura saw Pa lying on the floor by the big bed. Jack pawed at Pa and whined. He took hold of Pa's sleeve with his teeth and shook it. Pa's head lifted up a little, and he said, I must get up. I must. Caroline and the girls. Then his head fell back, and he lay still. Jack lifted up his nose and howled. Laura tried to get up, but she was too tired. Then she saw Ma's red face looking over the edge of the big bed. Mary was all the time crying for water. Ma looked at Mary, and then she looked at Laura and she whispered, Laura, can you? Yes, Ma, Laura said. This time she got out of bed, but when she tried to stand up, the floor rocked and she fell down. Jack's tongue lapped and lapped at her face, and he quivered and whined but he stood still and firm when she took hold of him and sat up against him. She knew she must get water to stop Mary's crying, and she did. She crawled all the way across the floor to the water bucket. There was only a little water in it. She shook so with cold that she could hardly get hold of the dipper, but she did get hold of it. She dipped up some water, and she set out to cross that enormous floor again. Jack stayed beside her all the way. Mary's eyes didn't open. Her hands held onto the dipper and her mouth swallowed all the water out of it. Then she stopped crying. The dipper fell on the floor, and Laura crawled under the covers. It was a long time before she began to get warm again. Sometimes she heard Jack sobbing. Sometimes he howled, and she thought he was a wolf, but she was not afraid. She lay burning up and hearing him howl. She heard the voices jabbering again, and the slow voice drawling, and she opened her eyes and saw a big black face close above her face. It was coal black and shiny. Its eyes were black and soft. Its teeth shone white in a thick, big mouth. This face smiled, and a deep voice said softly, Drink this, little girl. An arm lifted under her shoulders, and a black hand held a cup to her mouth. Laura swallowed a bitter swallow and tried to turn her head away, but the cup followed her mouth. The mellow, deep voice said again, Drink it. It will make you well. So Laura swallowed the whole bitter dose. When she woke up, a fat woman was stirring the fire. Laura looked at her carefully, and she was not black. She was tanned like Ma. I want a drink of water, please, Laura said. The fat woman brought it at once, 
The good, cold water made Laura feel better. She looked at Mary asleep beside her. She looked at Pa and Ma asleep in the big bed. Jack lay half asleep on the floor. Laura looked again at the fat woman and asked, Who are you? I'm Mrs. Scott, the woman said, smiling. There now, you feel better, don't you? Yes, thank you, Laura said politely. The fat woman brought her a cup of hot prairie chicken broth. Drink it all up like a good child, she said. Laura drank every drop of the good broth. Now go to sleep, said Mrs. Scott. I'm here to take care of everything till you're all well. Next morning, Laura felt so much better that she wanted to get up. But Mrs. Scott said she must stay in bed until the doctor came. She lay and watched Mrs. Scott tidy the house and give medicine to Pa and Ma and Mary. Then it was Laura's turn. She opened her mouth, and Mrs. Scott poured a dreadful bitterness out of a small folded paper onto Laura's tongue. Laura drank water and swallowed and swallowed and drank again. She could swallow the powder, but she couldn't swallow the bitterness. Then the doctor came, and he was the black man. Laura had never seen a black man before, and she could not take her eyes off Dr. Tan. He smiled at her with all his white teeth. He talked with Ma and Pa and laughed a rolling, jolly laugh. They all wanted him to stay longer, but he had to hurry away. Mrs. Scott said that all the settlers up and down the creek had fever and ague. There were not enough well people to take care of the sick, and she had been going from house to house, working night and day. It's a wonder you ever lived through, she said, all of you down at once. What might have happened if Dr. Tan hadn't found them, she didn't know. Dr. Tan was a doctor with the Indians. He was on his way north to Independence when he came to Pa's house. It was a strange thing that Jack, who hated strangers, and never let one come near the house until Pa or Ma told him to, had gone to meet Dr. Tan and begged him to come in. And here you all were, more dead than alive, Mrs. Scott said. Dr. Tan had stayed with them a day and a night before Mrs. Scott came. Now he was doctoring all the sick settlers. Mrs. Scott said that all this sickness came from eating watermelons. She said, I've said a hundred times, if I have once, that watermelons. What's that? Pa exclaimed. Who's got watermelons? Mrs. Scott said that one of the settlers had planted watermelons in the creek bottoms, and every soul who had eaten one of those melons were down sick that very minute. She said she had warned them, but no, she said, there was no arguing with them. They would eat those melons, and now they're paying for it. I haven't tasted a good slice of watermelon since Hector was a pup, said Pa. Next day, he was out of bed. The next day, Laura was up. Then Ma got up, then Mary. 
They were all thin and shaky, but they could take care of themselves, so Mrs. Scott went home. Ma said she didn't know how they could ever thank her, and Mrs. Scott said, what are neighbors for but to help each other out? Pa's cheeks were hollows, and he walked slowly. Ma often sat down to rest. Laura and Mary didn't feel like playing. Every morning, they all took those bitter powders, but Ma still smiled her lovely smile, and Pa whistled cheerfully. It's an ill wind that doesn't blow some good, he said. He wasn't able to work, so he could make a rocking chair for Ma. He brought some slender willows from the creek bottoms, and he made the chair in the house. He could stop any time to put wood on the fire or lift a kettle for Ma. First, he made four stout legs and braced them firmly with cross pieces. Then he cut thin strips of tough willow skin just under the bark. He wove these strips back and forth, under and over, till they made a seat for the chair. He split a long, straight sapling down the middle. He pegged one end of half of it to the side of the seat and curved it up and over and down and pegged the other end to the other side of the seat. That made a high curved back to the chair. He braced it firmly, and then he wove the thin willow strips across and up and down, under and over each other, till they filled in the chair back. With the other half of the split sapling, Pa made arms for the chair. He curved them from the front of the seat to the chair back, and he filled them in with woven strips. Last of all, he split a large willow which had grown in a curve. He turned the chair upside down and he pegged the curved pieces to its legs to make the rockers. And the chair was done. Then they made a celebration. Ma took off her apron and smoothed her smooth brown hair. She pinned her gold pin in front of her collar. Mary tied the string of beads around Carrie's neck Ma and Pa put Mary's pillow on the chair seat and set Laura's pillow against its back. Over the pillows, Pa spread the quilt from the little bed. Then he took Ma's hand and led her to the chair, and he put baby Carrie in her arms. Ma leaned back in the softness. Her thin cheeks flushed and her eyes sparkled with tears, but her smile was beautiful. The chair rocked her gently and she said, Oh, Charles, I haven't been so comfortable since I don't know when. Then Pa took his fiddle and he played and sang to Ma in the firelight. Ma rocked and baby Carrie went to sleep and Mary and Laura sat on their bench and were happy. The very next day, without saying where he was going, Pa rode away with Patty. Ma wondered and wondered where he had gone, and when Pa came back, he was balancing watermelon in front of him on the saddle. He could hardly carry it into the house. He let it fall on the floor and dropped down beside it. I thought I'd never get it here, he said. It must weigh 40 pounds, 
and I'm as weak as water. Hand me the butcher knife. But Charles, Ma said, you mustn't. Mrs. Scott said. Pa laughed his big, peeling laugh again. But that's not reasonable, he said. This is a good melon. Why should it have fever and ague? Everybody knows that fever and ague comes from breathing the night air. This watermelon grew in the night air, said Ma. Nonsense, Pa said. Give me the butcher knife. I'd eat this melon if I knew it would give me chills and fever. I do believe you would, said Ma, handing him the knife. It went into the melon with a luscious sound. The green rind split open, and there was the bright red inside, flecked with black seeds. The red heart actually looked frosty. Nothing had ever been so tempting as that watermelon on that hot day. Ma would not taste it. She would not let Laura and Mary eat one bite. But Pa ate slice after slice after slice, until at last he sighed and said the cow could have the rest of it. Next day, he had a little chill and a little fever. Ma blamed the watermelon. But the next day, she had a chill and a little fever. So, they did not know what could have caused their fever and ague. No one knew in those days that fever and ague was malaria and that some mosquitoes give it to people when they bite them. Chapter 16 Fire in the Chimney The prairie had changed. Now it was a dark yellow, almost brown, and red streaks of sumac lay across it. The wind wailed in the tall grass, and it whispered sadly across the curly, short buffalo grass. At night, the wind sounded like someone crying. Pa said again that this was a great country. In the big woods, he had had to cut hay and cure it and stack it and put it in the barn for winter. Here on the high prairie, the sun had cured the wild grass where it stood, and all winter the mustangs and the cow could mow their own hay. He needed only a small stack for stormy days. Now the weather was cooler, and he would go to town. He had not gone while the summer was hot, because the heat would be too hard on Pat and Patty. They must pull the wagon twenty miles a day to get to town in two days and he did not want to be away from home any longer than he had to. He stacked the small stack of hay by the barn. He cut the winter's wood and quartered it in a long cord against the house. Now he had only to get meat enough to last while he was gone, so he took his gun and went hunting. Laura and Mary played in the wind outdoors. When they heard a shot echo in the woods along the creek, they knew that Pa had got some meat. The wind was cooler now, and all along the creek bottoms, flocks of wild ducks were rising, flying, settling again. Up from the creek came long lines of wild geese, forming in V's for their flight farther south. The leader in front called to those behind him. Honk, he called. 
All down the lines the wild geese answered, one after another, Honk, honk, honk. And honk, 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 the others answered him. Straight away south he flew on his strong wings, and the long lines evenly followed him. The treetops along the creek were colored now. Oaks were red and yellows and browns and greens. Cottonwoods and sycamores and walnuts were shiny yellow. The sky was not so brightly blue, and the wind was rough. That afternoon, the wind blew fiercely, and it was cold. Ma called Mary and Laura into the house. She built up the fire and drew her rocker near it, and she sat rocking baby Carrie and singing softly to her. Laura heard a little crackling in the chimney. Ma stopped singing. She bent forward and looked up the chimney. Then she got up quietly, put Carrie in Mary's arms, pushed Mary down into the rocking chair and hurried outdoors. Laura ran after her. The whole top of the chimney was on fire. The sticks that made it were burning up. The fire was roaring in the wind and licking toward the helpless roof. Ma seized a long pole and struck and struck at the roaring fire and burning sticks fell all around her. Laura didn't know what to do. She grabbed a pole too but Ma told her to stay away. The roaring fire was terrible. It could burn the whole house and Laura couldn't do anything. She ran into the house. Burning sticks and coals were falling down the chimney and rolling out on the hearth. The house was full of smoke. One big, blazing stick rolled on the floor under Mary's skirts. Mary couldn't move. She was so scared. Laura was too scared to think. She grabbed the back of the heavy rocking chair and pulled with all her might. The chair, with Mary and Carrie in it, came sliding back across the floor. Laura grabbed up the burning stick and flung it into the fireplace just as Ma came in. That's a good girl, Laura, to remember I told you never to leave fire on the floor, Ma said. She took the water pail and quickly and quietly poured water on the fire in the fireplace. Clouds of steam came out. Then Ma said, Did you burn your hands? She looked at Laura's hands, but they were not burned because she had thrown the burning stick so quickly. Laura was not really crying. She was too big to cry. Only one tear ran out of each eye and her throat choked up but that was not crying. She hid her face against Ma and hung onto her tight. She was so glad the fire had not hurt Ma. Don't cry, Laura, Ma said, striking her hair. Were you afraid? Yes, Laura said. I was afraid Mary and Carrie would burn up. I was afraid the house would burn up and we wouldn't have any house. I'm, I'm scared now. Mary could talk now. She told Ma how Laura had pulled the chair away from the fire. Laura was so little, and the chair was so big and so heavy with Mary and Carrie in it that Ma was surprised. She said she didn't know how Laura had done it. 
You are a brave girl, Laura, she said. But Laura had really been terribly scared. And no harm's done, Ma said. The house didn't burn up, and Mary's skirts didn't catch fire and burn her and Carrie, so everything is all right. When Pa came home, he found the fire out. The wind was roaring over the low stone top of the chimney, and the house was cold. But Pa said he would build up the chimney with green sticks and fresh clay and plaster it so well that it wouldn't catch fire again. He had brought four fat ducks, and he said he could have killed hundreds, but four were all they needed. He said to Ma, You save the feathers from the ducks and geese we eat, and I'll shoot you a feather bed. He could, of course, have got a deer, but the weather was not yet cold enough to freeze the meat and keep it from spoiling before they could eat it. And he had found the place where a flock of wild turkeys roosted, Our Thanksgiving and Christmas turkeys, he said. I'll get them when the time comes. Pa went whistling to mix mud and cut green sticks and build the chimney up again while Ma cleaned the ducks. Then the fire merrily crackled, a fat duck roasted, and the cornbread baked. Everything was snug and cozy again. After supper, Pa said, He supposed he'd better start to town early next morning. Might as well go and get it over with, he said. Yes, Charles, you'd better go, Ma said. We could get along all right if I didn't, said Pa. There's no need of running to town all the time for every little thing. I have smoked better tobacco than the stuff Scott raised back in Indiana, but it will do. I'll raise some next summer and pay them back. I wish I hadn't borrowed those nails from Edwards. You did borrow them, Charles, Ma replied. And as for the tobacco, you don't like borrowing any more than I do. We need more quinine. I've been sparing with the cornmeal, but it's almost gone, and so is the sugar. You could find a bee tree, but there's no cornmeal tree to be found, so far as I know, and we'll raise no corn till next year. A little salt pork would taste good, too, after all this wild game. And, Charles, I'd like to write to the folks in Wisconsin. If you mail a letter now, they can write this winter, and then we can hear from them next spring. You're right, Caroline. You always are, Pa said. Then he turned to Mary and Laura and said it was bedtime. If he was going to start early in the morning, he'd better start sleeping early tonight. He pulled off his boots while Mary and Laura got into their nightgowns. But when they were in bed, he took down his fiddle. Softly he played and softly sang. Ma turned toward him and smiled. Take care of yourself on the trip, Charles. And don't worry about us, she told him. We will be all right. Sweet dreams, my friend. Sleep well.